Hello and welcome back to Hoppy Night in Canada, Season 2, Episode 2. Sitting in my kitchen in North Vancouver, I'm John. My name's Dave. And let's get into it. We want to talk about topic today or we want to just start with, uh, with beer of the moment? This is something we decided we're going to carry over from Season 1. We like it, it's fun, it's quick, and we get to just talk about a beer that we liked. Yeah. My beer of the moment is one that I tried at the... Vancouver Aquarium Oceanwise Chowder Chowdown, which is an event I went to a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it is an event that pairs fancy chowders made by restaurants around BC with local BC craft beer as a fundraiser and profile raiser for the Oceanwise program at the Vancouver Aquarium. And this year, I, I've gone for several years, and most of the beer is usually standard fare for most of the breweries. There's not a lot of special stuff being brought out for this event, which that's fine. It's all good. For the most part, it's all good beer. The worst beer that we had was a steam whistle. And like steam whistle, eh, whatever, but it's still not a bad beer. It's, yeah, it's fine. And in some ways it's fun to see, you know, a beer that you have had before, you know, maybe on its own getting purposefully paired with some food. It can potentially bring out some additional quality in the beer that you didn't notice before if it's paired well. So it's a to cool thing. Totally, totally. And so the beer that I, that really stood out to me that I loved was from one of my most talked about breweries, Parallel 49. They just released a special limited beer which they brought to the event. It's a Brett Barrel Aged Saison. It's delicious. Um, it's got all sort of the, the funky Brett characteristics, the brightness of the Saison, and just a little bit of barrel aging that was topical for later on in the podcast. Yeah, pretty great. Yeah. Uh, are they releasing, Is it was it a one-off limited for the dinner, or do you know if they're releasing it in nope. any way? It's being released in bottles. Um, Sweet. Probably out pretty quick, actually. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So keep your eyes open. Not bad. For me, beer of the moment was the, I think it's just called Coffee, K-A-F-F-E-E, -E, from Steel and Oak, and it's a blonde ale brewed with coffee from Timber Train, which is a local coffee roaster in Vancouver. I, I kind of like beer styles that you wouldn't think of being associated with coffee and then getting coffee introduced to that. So one of them actually that it really reminded me of is there's a, a brewery in San Diego where I grew up called Second Chance and they make a coffee IPA, which is really, really nice. Surprisingly, like the, the coffee flavors and the, and the hoppiness really blend well. And so I was curious to see because like a Blondale normally is, a, is pretty... Uh, neutral mm -hmm. and so seeing what the coffee did to it and it was really nice it I mean granted like I went to the brewery uh, and tried it there and it was kind of a rainy wet day and so getting kind of a nice lighter beer but with that kind of coffee warmth flavor coming through it was really really nice nice it's limited they're selling it in bottles I don't know if it's going to get wider release but you can at least pick it up at the brewery in New West yep BC yep pretty good cool so as I alluded to earlier our topic today is barrel aging. The reason that we did this is that the two beers that we're trying are the same barley wine aged in, one is aged in red wine, specifically Cabernet Sauvignon barrels, and the other is aged in white wine, specifically Chardonnay barrels. The beers are brewed by Steel and Oak uh, out of New Westminster. It's their special single batch series. Uh, the white wine one is called En Blanc, and the red wine one is called En Rouge. And yeah, it, it seemed to be actually pretty fortuitous, because these came out and that sort of formed uh, the, this topic. 
We thought that it would be a cool thing, partially because it pairs well uh, with the previous episode that we talked about fresh hop beers. Yeah. So that, you know, when we're talking hops and we're talking especially fresh hop, it's all about drinking the beer when it's young and fresh and also being a very hop forward beer. Barley wines and in general, beers that are usually targeted for barrel aging are heavier, uh, boozier, more malt forward beers. So getting a chance to talk about malt forward beers and beers that do well with aging and what aging can do to a beer, we thought would be a a pretty fun thing. Yeah, totally. Totally. So how do we want to start? Do we want to crack them open and give them a try? Yeah. Okay, so the first beer we're trying is the Steel and Oak En Blanc, barley wine aged in Chardonnay barrels. That's really tasty. Yeah, and surprisingly, based on my somewhat limited experience with barley wines, a bit of a lighter flavor going yeah. with it and um, and has some of those kind of Chardonnay notes uh, or notes that I would normally associate with white wine, a little bit light, a little bit fruity. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I know very little about wine. Like really, really very little. My, my, I consider myself reasonably knowledgeable about beer. My knowledge of wine is very limited. But I know that one of the flavors that is often associated with Chardonnay is kind of a buttery flavor, which is also something that you get in Kolsch's. Mm-hmm. Kolsch, Kolsch beers often are a li- kind of have a buttery flavor. And I get like a little sip of this and there is a little bit of sort of a buttery softness almost. I get just like the faintest, faintest hint of like a little bit of butteriness on the finish. Yeah. It's... This beer has got sort of a traditional barley wine. It's not terribly hoppy. I would, I, I think I would classify it as a British-style barley wine as opposed to an American barley wine. I did a little bit of looking before the episode, and the first beer to ever be marketed as barley wine was in 1870 in England with Bass Number no. 1 Ale. It was referred to as a barley wine. There are two streams of barley wines. There's... British barley wines and there's American barley wines. The first American barley wine was from Anchor Brewing uh, in 1976, introduced Old Foghorn barley wine style ale. Which I think you can still get today. I'm not sure if the recipe is the same, but uh, I'm pretty sure Old Foghorn is still a beer you can buy. I don't, I, I don't, I, I know I've never tried it. I'm sure it's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anchor makes a lot of really good beer. But uh, the sort of the difference between a British barley wine and an American barley wine is kind of similar to a lot of, you know, British beers versus American beers is it's the amount of hops. Yeah. An American style barley wine is going to be a big, malty, high alcohol content beer with a ton of hops. Yeah. Whereas a British style barley wine is a big, malty, high alcohol, alcoholic beer with almost no hops. This one is, very, I would call it very much a uh, British style it's got kind of notes of dried fruit. There's some raisin in there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sweet. Like there's definitely, there's some malt, there's a lot of malty sweetness there's, to it. Yeah, there's, it's, it's a quite, it's not the sweetest barley wine I've had, no. but there is, there is quite a bit of sweetness there. And actually as this, as I've had it in the glass a little bit longer and it's warming up a bit, a bit there is some white wine-esque, like not sharpness, but like brightness on the finish. It's start like I'm starting to taste more Chardonnay now. So the the bottle will actually inform us that uh, this was also fermented with wine yeast. Oh, so that could also account for some of the flavors. Totally, totally, and yeah, it's 
It's nice. I like this beer. Yeah, this is actually really nice, especially considering that I, I tend to come and go with barley wines. I find some of them to be, especially some of the really, really strong ones. I mean, we're talking about barley wines as a style, so one of the main characteristics of a barley wine is its strength. Yeah. I think usually the, the weakest ones you'll see are like about an 8 to 9%, and they can easily go up to a 12, 11, 12%. Yep. Um, these ones are both a 10%. Yeah. So kind of that middle of the road, and 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 yeah, I've definitely had some that are really high on the on, uh, on the ABV spectrum, and that malty sweetness just kind of punches through. It overpowers everything, and there isn't. It's more sweet than flavorful, and then it just doesn't sit well with me. I think. Yeah, and it can even some of the higher alcohol content ones can taste boozy. Yeah, like legitimate, and especially when they've been barrel aged. Yeah, because a lot of barley wines, and we'll get into some, uh, like the sort of nuts and bolts of barrel aging in a, in a minute. But a lot of barley wines, like they kind of lend themselves to barrel aging. So you see a lot of them being barrel aged. Yeah. And so oftentimes with a high alcohol barrel aged beer, you get a lot of booze. It's kind of like, as you would say, hot. And maybe yeah. like, maybe this one's been aged long enough. Maybe it's just a, a good recipe, but like there's no heat to it at all. Yeah. It's, there's no alcohol bite. It does, it hides the 10% really well. Like, yeah, absolutely. Me, honestly, if you told me that this was a 6% beer, I wouldn't even think twice. Yeah. Which is kind of dangerous. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I wouldn't even think twice. It's It hides it really well. Uh, and I went, through a period of, I went through a period of time in my life where I bought a lot of barley wines. I really thought I was really, really into barley wines. And there was a period of time when I was planning to develop a beer cellar um, so that I could, you know, I'd have all these ones to age. And so like I went out and bought six different bottles of Granville Island's barley wine because like oh you know I'll buy six every year and then I can do verticals and like yep whatever and I then <laughs> maybe bought two years in a row and was like this is dumb I just have a bunch of money tied up in beer now it just it also takes up a lot of space especially we both live in apartments like there's not when we say cellar it's normally like a closet somewhere oh totally and... totally mine's all sitting in my storage unit which is four which is four floors below ground in my apartment building complex which actually might not be the worst place to store it because it's probably a pretty stable temperature I was gonna say, keep, keeps the temperature regulated probably a little bit cooler probably yeah. not bad yeah but but a lot of barley wines i've had in the past are really boozy yeah in a, in a word and this one's not yeah getting into the mechanics of the, the notions of aging so you know last episode we talked about fresh hot beers things that should really be drank as freshly as possible and in general you'll see that you know hoppy beers uh, are meant to be drank fresh, usually within about a three-month window. So by contrast, barley wines and in general, the, the sort of boozier beers, your imperial stouts, um, some types of porter, certain things like that, they are actually usually brewed specifically to be aged. Yeah. And, and the aging can kind of take two approaches. We've been talking about barrel aging a little bit, but also the notion, like you say, of cellaring where you buy the beer and then usually there's still a little bit of yeast left in so that the beer will continue to develop and condition as it sits in the bottle. So the longer you actually keep the bottle around, the more the taste will change. And as far as I understand, the, the biggest thing that you'll notice is that mellowing out, especially of like harsher, boozier beers. Yes. You let it sit for 12 months, 18 months, something like that. And the booziness can sometimes kind of ratchet down a bit. And some of these other flavors will start to develop over time as it sits in the bottle. Totally. Totally. And it definitely like, it's, it's not even just the yeast either. Oftentimes there are, there are certain sort of volatile compounds in beer that are off, that are just offshoots of fermentation 
different esters and stuff like that, mm -hmm. that will change over time. Like just sitting, leaving them for 12 months, the esters will change. And so some of the flavor profiles will change. Yeah. And it is, like you said, it's a, they mellow out. And that's, I believe that's true of wine as well. Mm -hmm. I know lots of people will buy expensive red wines from France and be like, this one has a drinking window of 15 years to 30 years <laughs> from now. And it's like, yep. But uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I believe it's the same thing. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I mean, I know um, I know there are Belgian beers out there that give you. I'm trying. I think like Rochefort Ten, it's a Trappist ale, and it's uh, a Belgian quad, which is another that like really strong boozy flavor type of beer. And their I think best buy date is ten years after the brewing. Yeah. Um. So like I I think I bought one last year, and yeah, it had a it had a drink before 2025. Yeah. stamped on it which like is in some ways it's a really cool thing because yeah it opens that door to saying cool if you buy a couple of these at the same time like you were saying with the barley wines you buy a few and then you get to try it at six months 12 months two years three you know you can yeah. actually you can make this sort of a thing of like you see how it develops and changes over time yeah um as 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 beer amateur hobbyists i feel like it's one of these fun things to get to see like oh yeah i bought this a while ago and like how has it changed yeah. all right so in terms of the en blanc we should give this thing a rating. I think I would give this about a seven and a half. It's really good. Barley wine is not one of my necessarily one of my go-to styles, but I do enjoy them. I would say, yeah, this is a strong seven and a half. It's a it's a nice, smooth, well-flavored beer. Yeah. And I think seven and a half is a good rating for it. Yeah. I think I would go a little higher. I think I'd probably put this at an eight out of ten. And I think that's to some degree contextual. A lot of this is informed by the other, like other barley wines that I've had, and I haven't actually drank that many barley wines in, in recent memory. So I'd put it pretty high with the caveat that it works really well for the time of year and the weather the fact and that like it's pouring rain outside. It is yeah, awful. It's awful out. So contextual to all those things, I'm gonna put eight out of ten. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. All right. Um so now into barrel aging. So many alcohols obviously are, are aged in barrels, wine, spirits of a number of different types. And those are usually aged in, uh, what, young or fresh barrels? Barrels that haven't been used before. So Usually. Usually. Um, and sometimes, you know, uh, your, your bourbons or your whiskeys would be in, in charred oak barrels or things like that. Yep. Um, the thing with barrel aging for beer is normally... Beers that are barrel-aged reuse barrels that have already been used to age another type of liquor. Yes. So a really common one that you'll see, especially when it comes to things like stouts, is reusing bourbon barrels. Yes. So when the distillery is done with that barrel, breweries will sometimes buy them up, put their beer in it, set it aside for aging for a window of time. And the idea is, obviously, with the, using uh, different types of barrels, is to impart a different sort of secondary flavor into that beer. So I think one of the examples we got to try recently was a, it's a Berliner Weiss aged in tequila barrels. Yeah. And oh man, did it taste like tequila. It did. It tasted, it tasted a lot like some of the not great parts of tequila. <laughs> yeah. Um, Neither of us being tequila drinkers. Um, no, it was, if you are a tequila drinker, you probably would have loved it. The beer is called Pequeño Cabo from Four Winds in Delta. Yeah. And if you are a tequila drinker and you can get your hands on a bottle of this, you'll probably love it. Yeah. It just didn't sit well for either of us. No, not particularly. So yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the interesting things about this notion is you've got 
the same base beer, right? The same base barley wine that's being aged in two different barrels. And so one of the things I feel like that's going to be interesting when we get to them side by side is seeing what different characters have been imparted into these beers by the different flavors of the wine barrels. Yeah, totally. As, as we said, barrel aging works well with sort of higher alcohol content beers. You see it on a lot of stouts, porters, barley wines, scotch ales, sours, things like that. The beers that will develop additional flavor over time being aged in the barrel. It's, it's interesting. It really depends on what type of barrel it is that what type of flavor it adds. And it's, I mean, I don't know that I've ever had a beer that's been aged in a fresh barrel. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever seen it. I've ever seen a brewery put out a beer that is just aged on oak to just add oak flavor. Yeah. Oftentimes you will have beer that has been in a whiskey barrel or something like that. And you can taste the oak. You can surely, surely taste the oak. Yeah. But it also, you also have flavor of the alcohol. And so, I mean, as John mentioned earlier, probably the most common barrel that you see beers aged in is a bourbon barrel. Yeah, that's one that you'll see quite a lot with stouts. And yeah. so a lot of times it's a bourbon barrel aged imperial stout, something like that. Yeah, totally, totally. And that's a pretty common one. And there are some excellent examples, both local and international. Um, locally, Driftwood does a once a year release of a beer called Singularity. And it's a bourbon barrel aged Russian Imperial Stout. Yeah. And it's always it's always one of the most sought after yeah. beers. I think uh, in, in Ontario, uh, I think Amsterdam Brewing does, there's one called Double Tempest, which is a similar, it's bourbon barrel aged Imperial Stout, similar sort of thing. And it's a once a year release. Nice. Nice. Um, internationally, I know Stone does, a, Stone Brewing in San Diego does a lot of bourbon barrel aged stuff. Yeah. Some of their, yeah. So again, some of their limited releases, uh, their, their kind of yearly releases do bourbon barrel aged. Um, yeah. And it was interesting to, to, your, to your point of like fresh barrels. I think one of the things is, um, I was thinking of Stone. They make, uh, for example, an oaked version of their Arrogant Bastard, which is, I think it's an American strong ale. So it's, it's hoppy, it's kind of boozy, it's a little of everything. And it's kind of a, it's a wide open style as far as I understand. But they do an oaked version. And in order to get the oak flavor, they just use oak chips in yes. the fermentation, I believe. Yeah. Um, like in, in, as they, as it ferments. Yeah. Rather than having to age it in a barrel, because there's also that where like a barrel, A, the costs of barrels for a brewery, B, the time it's going to take to age it. Like you can yeah. achieve just an oak flavor as part of the normal brewing process. Yes, totally, um, totally. And it's, there's, there's different types of, like there's different ways to do oak, like you said, with the, uh, like with oak chips. And like I've seen some breweries that use like a cube, like a bunch of cubes of oak. Or you can oh. just like oak shaving curls, it looks like. <laughs> it looks like somebody just like whittled a piece of oak. And that provides a ton of surface area. Yeah. Like you put it, you dump in a bunch of these oak chips, shavings basically, and it just provides a ton of surface area. And so you get a way quicker transfer of flavor. Yeah. Right. Uh, and if all you're looking for is the oak flavor, then that's a great way to do it. But when you're talking about barrel aging, it's usually used barrels. Yeah. Almost always used barrels. And I know breweries, when they buy barrels, it's all... As you said, there's a cost with the barrel. The other thing is, is there just aren't that as many barrels being made in the world now as there used to be. A hundred years ago, everything was shipped in barrels. Yeah. Right? Um, there just aren't as many barrels being made anymore. So it's harder for breweries to get their hands on barrels. Yeah. Uh, I know that there's, some, there's a lot of, well, not competition, but usually when a 
because a, a distillery can only use their barrels a certain number of times. I don't know if it's only for one batch or whether it's like a few batches or de it probably depends on the spirit. It probably depends on a lot of factors. <laughs> um, but there's only a certain number of times. Nowadays, from what I understand, is usually when the distillery starts using that barrel, it's already earmarked to go to somebody else when it's done. <laughs> like a brewery has already come in and said, I want that. Yeah. Like they have their name on barrels already. And if you go to a lot of the local breweries, you can see barrel programs like uh, strange fellows is the is the big the best example i can think of because if you sit at the long table in in strange fellows you can just see the barrels yeah sitting there full of some sort of delicious beer yeah i think uh a similar amsterdam in in toronto does a similar thing you go into i think their their main restaurant location they've got just a wall of barrels that you can see through a window yeah yeah, and it's it, like you say, like there's there's a supply aspect to it, there's a space aspect to it, and there's a time aspect to it. So yeah. like not every brewery is going down the road of going into barrel aging. Like you said, supply time, all these and space, it leads to barrel aged beers being more expensive. Yeah, because there's an investment in that. And you know what? If you put a bunch of beer into a barrel and there's something in that barrel that like some sort of bacteria or something like that, you're gonna test it 12 months later and it's gonna be bad. And you gotta get rid of all of it. Yeah, and so basically the cost of selling all that beer, like a batch of beer has to basically take into account any loss, any kind of, and there's a thing within, there's a thing in barrels that's referred to as the angel's share. This happens in both aging for spirits and also for beer, a certain amount of beer gets pulled into the barrel and you lose it. And it's referred to as the angel's share. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something, the devil's share, I believe is what the, whiskey maker drinks before you could, they can sell it. <laughs> I think that's the devil's share. Decent. Decent um, but, uh, you know, you, there's all these things that don't account for. And I know that a lot of say casual beer drinkers would pick up a, say a barrel aged barley one and look at it and see a $16 price or something like that and have insane sticker shock. Yeah. Which on one hand, yeah, 16 bucks is a lot for a bottle of beer, but all the things that we talked about lead to it has to be more expensive because there's so much invested in it. And being that it's a higher alcohol content beer already, the amount of grain that went into it is going to be higher than a standard 5% beer too. For sure. Yeah. The, the grain bill on these is going to be much, much higher in order to accommodate the amount of alcohol that needs to be produced yeah. from it. So yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's an interesting corner, I think of the, beer hobbyist world. One of the other flip sides is, you know, there are some beers that lend themselves well to barrel aging, but don't necessarily have to be. I think it was Phillips. I don't know if they still make it, but they used to make, um, I think an Imperial Stout and they would release a bourbon barrel aged version yep. and a young version, essentially like straight from the fermenter. Yep. No aging. They still do that. Okay. Yep. Um, and in the same way as what we're doing right now, I thought it was really interesting because I think the, the one time I got to try that, I bought both and then you try them side by side. So again, you get to see what secondary flavors come out of the barrel aging, what sort of been activated or emphasized between the two versions of the beer. I think they started maybe three years ago. They do a barrel aged and a non barrel aged version of their pumpkin beer. Really? Yeah. And like, I don't like pumpkin beers. We've discussed this multiple times. I don't love Phillips beers, but uh, yeah, they have their their crooked tooth pumpkin beer, mm -hmm. and then they have crookeder tooth, which <laughs> is barrel aged. And I can't say I've ever done the side by side with that, but yeah, it'd be an interesting. It would be an interesting experience if pumpkin ale is something that you like. Yeah, for sure. 
the final thing I was thinking of, of last episode talking about the very notion of freshness. And I think ultimately, I mean, we've talked kind of around it, but the, the thing that a lot of the beers that lend themselves well to aging have in common is that lack of hop flavor. Yes. Right. Like you'll still get some, some bitterness cause it is beer after all, but most of the beers that you see get aged are not ones that have hop flavor emphasized in any way, shape or form. Now the, the one thing that I have seen is barrel aged IPAs, but they're normally aged with Britannomyces. Yes. Which is a, a yeast strain lends itself to that kind of funky flavor, that sour flavor. And I think that like, the, the reintroduction of a new strain of yeast during the barrel aging turns it into a very different beer. And so at that point, again, like the hop flavor isn't even as emphasized, but it's still a hoppier beer. Definitely. That the introduction of a, of a strong flavored strain of yeast, I think like it, it does some interesting things to the beer. Totally, totally. So I think you'll sometimes see that sort of stuff, but I feel like it's not as common. No. Because the easy one to say is like, listen, beers that are high alcohol, heavy malt profile, not much hop emphasis. Like those ones play really well when you drop them in a barrel and yeah. see what flavors come out of it. As we've said a bunch of times, barley wines, imperial stouts, imperial porters, yeah. um, scotch ales, some sour beers yeah. are barrel aged to great success. I yeah. remember it's still probably my highest rated beer uh, on any episode. In the bonus episode in season one, I pulled out of the cellar a barrel-aged beer from Driftwood, their sour, the Lustrum. And it is still one of my favorite beers. It was aged on black currants with a souring bacteria in barrels. And they left that for, I think, four years. And it got great. It got super great. Yeah, that was a really interesting one to try after it had been aging for, for a really long time. Because I feel like there's also that where, you know, some beers you can age... I think there, there are bars like in Belgium that'll sell you, you know, 25 years aged. Yeah. Belgian Orval's beers. and the other Trappist beers, especially you can get Rochefort's that have been aging 40 years. Right. And, like, and it will cost you 200 euro or oh, something yeah. like that. But if you have that kind of cash to throw around, probably if you got the coin, it. it would be really interesting to see what that tasted like. Probably worth it. Um, yeah. And, and also with, like you say, with sour beers, Lambics, for example, as a sort of wild spontaneous fermentation beer, they get aged, and then in order to create a lambic, you actually take multiple different aged versions. So you take you take a young version, a, a slightly older version, and yeah, you blend them. Normally, kind of blends of one to three years in age, yep. and that's what actually creates the the beer. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a really interesting thing to sort of dive into, and especially things like this. As craft breweries in Canada start to build out their, I say start, some have been doing it for years, but you know, with the explosion of craft breweries uh, in Ontario and in BC and in obviously other provinces in the last couple of years, as breweries start to build out their barrel aging programs, I think it's really cool to see that people are doing different things. Like this is one of the first barley wines, for example, that I can remember aged on wine barrels. Yeah. I think a lot of the barley wines I've had have been bourbon barrels or some other liquor. Yeah, totally. I, I've seen, I've definitely seen a rum barrel aged barley wine, mm -hmm. which actually I think probably would pay, would play up reasonably well. Yeah. Rum, you know, barley wines are a little bit sweeter. Rum's a little bit sweeter. Like that would probably play up really well. Yeah. But yeah, this is definitely, I think this is actually the first time I've ever seen beer aged in wine barrels. I find that really interesting. Cause like you said, normally the barrel aging in beers is liquor. This summer, Steamworks in Vancouver uh, paired up with one of the local distilleries, Odd Society, which makes a gin called Wallflower Gin, and they often will 
oak age their wallflower gin so it's an oaked gin okay. which is a sort of more recent style of gin that's coming out that is like makes it sipping gins hmm. I can't say I've ever tried it my aunt is a big gin fan and had we bought her a bottle one time and she liked it so Steamworks paired up with Odd Society and made a few they only made a few casks of Steamworks Hefeweizen aged in the gin aging barrel interesting which I think would have been really good because you would have had sort of the, the, the bright, weedy, um, you know, clovey flavors paired with sort of the juniper and oak of the oaked gin. I think it would have been really good. I didn't get a chance to try it. They made like three casks, I think, and one was available at Steamworks and two were available at the Odd Society room, nice. like, like tasting bar. And I, I really, I do wish I had got a chance, but like, it's that kind of thing is super interesting. Like yeah. You see weird stuff like that in barrel aging sometimes. And I don't know how long it was actually aged in the barrel. I don't think that in this, in this case it was aged that long because I mean, a half of Eisen is a sort of a lighter flavored beer. So it would, yeah, as a style, it would really quickly get overwhelmed. Yeah. I think. So I think that like that, it would take a bit of a deft hand, Yeah, but it's it, like seeing things like that is really neat. Yeah. And that's like, I feel like ultimately that's the feeling that I get when I see, barrel-edged stuff come out is it feels like it's this cool area of experimentation combinations of flavors and seeing exactly what happens depending on how long it sits in the barrel how long you're going to let it bottle condition after that like there's so many factors that go into it that it's always going to be just this slightly different thing yeah it, it's a cool corner of of craft beer i think and it's and it's great to see that with the proliferation of breweries more places are starting up their barrel aging programs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. totally all right, so should we try the next beer? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so the second beer is also steel and oak. It's the same barley wine, but this one's called En Rouge, aged in Cabernet Sauvignon barrels. That's much less sweet. Yeah, there is, I feel like, more of a fruity flavor. Yeah. But there is less sweetness at the same time, which is what you'd normally associate with a fruity flavor. So that kind of aged fruit. Yeah, it kind of tastes like, I mean, I, again, don't know a lot about wine, but I know that in terms of red wine, Cabernet Sauvignon is probably the one I like the most. Mm-hmm. It's, it's your, your quintessential California style red wine. This, this is really good. It's really nice, actually. It reminds me actually of some Belgian style... Like I was, I was going to say Belgian quads, but not quads from Belgium, but American breweries that make Belgian quads. Oh, totally. Um, but it very much, it, it has a lot of those same flavors. And I know one of the key things about, about some of those Belgian beers, doubles and quads, is that there's candy sugar added yep. in the brewing. And this, yeah, this reminds me of a number of different like doubles and quads, that same. It feels like it's in that lineage almost. That's actually, that's a really, really good comparison. Um, I don't think I would have picked that up until you said it, but... Yeah, it's got, it tastes like there's cherry, there's maybe a little bit of currant, like black, a little bit of black currant. Yeah. Those sort of berries, that sour cherry taste that you sometimes get with it. Like this sort of candied, but not overly sweet. Almost raisiny. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is good. This one's really good. This this is, it's not something I like, but I think that this beer would go really well with fruitcake. Yeah, I think so. This would be a good Christmas beer with fruitcake. It's funny because the the on the bottle of the En Blanc, the the one aged in Chardonnay, it suggests that uh, vanilla, coconut, apricot, and peach sit upon heavy notes of molasses and fruitcake huh. with a touch of citrus. Huh. Yeah, this one says the En Rouge says black currant, dark cherry, 
leather and tobacco sit upon notes of <laughs> plums and dates. Yeah, I'd say those are pretty... I mean, I don't taste the leather personally, but... I don't really taste a lot of tobacco. Maybe my palate, my palate is not refined enough for this. It's That's really nice, though. That's um, really good. I would go... I'm going eight and a half. Yeah, I'd go probably eight and three quarters. I, I, the last couple of years, I got really interested in, in learning more about Belgian styles and trying a lot of different, especially quads that are from Belgium and then also North American takes on the style. Um, and this very much falls in line with, with a type of beer that I really, really like. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, as far as the sort of the barley wine aspect, it doesn't have that kind of heat, that booziness that I sometimes associate with harsher, stronger barley wines. No, not at all. And so combined with the, the wine barrel aging, I would not guess this being a 10% beer. No, no. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's mellow. It's got a bit of fruitiness. It's really, really nice. Yeah, this is good. Now, to finish the episode... I think we should try the two side by side. Let's go En Blanc first, En Rouge. Cool. Yeah, so En Blanc is a lot brighter. Yes. It's very bright. And then the En Rouge is, it's, it's fruitier. Yeah. It's, it's, having them side by side, I feel like there isn't actually as much, it, at the moment, it doesn't feel like there's as much difference as it felt like when we tried one versus the other. So trying them side by side is a really interesting Thing. I know, I, I would agree with that 100%. You can definitely tell the base beer is there. It's yeah. the same base beer. Yeah, the En Blanc has got, like you said, the En Blanc's got a little bit of brightness. Um, the En Rouge has got some fruitiness, but they do, they are very similar. Yeah. But they're, they're definitely, there's some individuality to them. Yeah. And I think ultimately that's the, I, I feel like from trying comparisons of like young versus aged Imperial Stouts, like we were talking about the Phillips one earlier. Sometimes you expect a larger yeah. differentiation. And at the end of the day, like there, there is only so much flavor that gets imparted with barrel aging. I think yeah. the interesting part is in, is in that subtlety to some degree of like, there are going to be slight differences and where they go. And again, sometimes this stuff can also get accentuated with time in the bottle. So totally, totally. I'm sure like buying these two, let them sit for two years or even a year. And I would be very interested to see yeah. where they go. Yeah. Um, because of the slight differences right now, even at the, you know when they're when they're freshly bottled, yeah, they are they're really good. Yeah, these are really good barley wines. Well done, steel and oak. Yeah, I am I am very pleased with how these turned out. I haven't drank a ton of steel and oak beer. Mm -hmm. um, they are new-ish. I think they've probably been open for maybe two years now. Based out of New Westminster, not far, like just by the New Westminster Key? They're a little ways out of it. Okay. Um, yeah, a short walk from New West Skytrain, I think. Yeah, and they actually, the sour ale, or the sour beer episode that we did in season one, I had their, one of their beers called Tortuga. Oh, that's right. Which was a rum barrel aged sour beer. I mm. didn't really like it that much. Yeah. I mean, maybe that was just, but like, a lot of the beers I have had from them have been really good. They did an excellent, or they do an excellent um, Roggenweizen. Oh, nice. Which is a rye, a German-style rye. It basically is a Hefeweizen, both rye instead of wheat. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really good. It's got all those sort of banana clovey flavors. All right, so I think that wraps up this episode. Yeah. Again, reach out if you've got any questions, if you want to get in contact. The Twitter is... At hoppynightca. Website is hoppynight.ca. And our email address is hoppynightincanada at gmail.com. 
Yep. If you live outside of Vancouver and want to call in and get it get in on an episode and talk about beer in your location. Yeah, we are on the we, lookout for Canadian guests. Yes, please, 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 please give us a give us a shout. Rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, uh, it helps other people find us, find out about the show, um, that we're back. We're in season two. Yep. So any chance you get to, to rate and or review us uh, would be very much appreciated. And you know what? If you like what we're doing, tell your friends. Yeah. Tell your friends. Like if you're having a beer with your, one of your friends, like, hey, I listen to this great beer podcast. Because I know when I'm hanging out with my friends, we talk about the podcasts that we listen to because we're huge dorks. That is actually very, very accurate. <laughs> so if you're having a beer with a friend and say, hey, I listen to this great beer podcast, please do. Let them know. All right. That pretty much wraps it up. Yep. So until next time, I'm John. I'm Dave. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.